So if you won a million dollars in the lottery, how would you spend it? What would you do with it? That question actually isn't as hypothetical as you might think because if you were to make $15 an hour, which is what our minimum wage is going to be, we're working up to that, and you were to work 40 hours a week for 35 years, you would actually handle over a million dollars. So we have these resources that God has entrusted us with, and the question is, how are we using them? What do we do with them? Now we're answering that question in this three-part series on the parable of the talents, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 25. And Jesus has been telling us how we should be intentional with the resources that he has entrusted to us. And this is the last message in the series based on one of the 16 parables that Jesus told, which actually spoke about money or giving. Now in week one, the, I talked about the opening scene of this parable where there was a wealthy master and he was going away on a trip. We don't know for how long, we don't know where he was going to, but he entrusted some of his servants with his wealth. So he handed out bags of gold, his money, to his servants and he entrusted them to invest it and manage it wisely. So one servant received five bags of gold, another one received two, and the third one one bag. And I mentioned in that first message, in our economy, one bag of gold would be somewhat equal to half a million dollars. So these are large amounts of money that he is handing out to his servants. And in week one, we saw that the master is the owner, it all belongs to him, and he's just entrusting it to his servants. And we looked at the phrase, or the, actually the concept of ownership theology, which we need to develop. And that's the theological understanding that nothing belongs to us. It all belongs to God. So when you see your money and your resources and your possessions through ownership theology, that it all belongs to God, then suddenly everything that the Bible says about money starts to make sense. It matters a lot. And instead of being defensive or putting up a guard when we hear a pastor speaking about giving, we actually want to lean in because we want to understand it more. Because this isn't ours. It belongs to him. And the Bible is God's instructions on how to use his resources. Then in week two, we saw how the servants invested or managed the money that they were entrusted with. And two of the servants, they actually went out and doubled the money. The guy with the five bags, the one with the two bags. But the other guy, he just buried his in the ground. And he essentially puts it in a safe and locks the door and then forgets about it. Now, even though God has ownership rights, we as servants have responsibilities. That means when we look at our finances and we're trying to decide how to manage our money, the question we don't ask is, what do I want to spend it on? That seems to be the most natural question if we think it's our money. But the question should be, it, how does God want this money of his to be managed because that's the way we should look at it, that it's his, not ours. Because one day, and this 
is what we're going to talk about today. One day the master will return and we're going to have to give an account of how we've managed the resources that he has entrusted to us. And we see that in the third scene of the story. And as we finish this parable, there's something I want to point out. And it's important for us to keep in mind the context in which Jesus teaches. If you read through Matthew's chapter 24 and 25, a large portion of that teaching is Jesus talking about the fact that he is going to return again for the second coming. And he's giving quite a bit of information about that, what that'll be like and what they need to know. And the basis of that message is be ready. So Matthew 24, 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So he's going to return when we least expect it. And then in chapter 25, 13. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So that's the context of the parable. Jesus has been teaching about his return and he's saying you need to be ready. And then he gives this story of a master who leaves and comes back and the servants have to give an account. So Jesus is the master in this story. He's left for a while and he'll return. We just don't know when. We need to be repaired, prepared sorry, because when he returns, we'll be called to give an account of our lives and how we've, in this situation, managed the resources that he's entrusted to us. And for the purpose of this parable, Jesus chooses the subject of money for his application. It didn't have to be money, but the idea that he's getting across is that you need to be ready to give an account of your life. But why use money? If you read through the Gospels and the parables, money is the dominant theme. And we wonder, why is it always about money? It's because money is the most accurate reflection of our faith. How we handle our finances, our bank accounts, our savings, our credit card statements, looking at them will tell us how we best gauge our beliefs. And the Bible puts it this way, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So money's a test. Do we really believe what we say we believe? We can say that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We can say that we believe that he is the Lord of our lives. But probably the best indicator of what we believe is our finances. So Jesus spends some time talking about this and uses money as the application. I've used this illustration before. But remember back to when you were in high school and the teacher's talking and and you're not really following along. Maybe it's a really nice day at the end of May or early June, and you're looking at the nice weather and thinking, I could be out in a golf course right now. But your mind is just drifting a little bit. But then there's a question that's asked. And the question is, is that going to be on the test? So basically that other student was saying, if, is what you're telling us something that we need to know later? Are we going to be tested on this? And if the teacher answers, well, no, but I'd like you to pay attention anyway, we don't really pay attention. But if the teacher says, yes, it's going to be on the test, the whole class perks up and they start taking notes because this matters. What the teacher is saying now is going to matter later. 
And here's what's happening here. Jesus is saying, this is going to be on the test. What I'm telling you now, you are going to be accountable for later. And then he tells us that one day, we'll be held accountable for the resources that God has entrusted us with. So we pick up in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And I want you to notice that word see, because that is an emphatic. It could just as easily have been translated as behold. So what you have here is a servant who's excited. He's glad the master has returned. And why is he glad? Because he's prepared. So he has been anticipating this day. He's ready. And he says to the master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So he has been anticipating this day. He's been looking forward to the master's return. So he, he's excited. He's prepared. So how you feel about the second of Christ depends in large part upon how you are prepared. And I never liked the kids in school who were prepared for exams and tests. I wondered, what is it about them? Like some of them were almost shaking with excitement. Oh, it's exam day today. They had worked so hard. They knew so much. They were excited to have the opportunity to take on that challenge. And, but, but why? I don't know how that feels to be prepared like that. But that's what you have going on here with this servant. So in verse 16 of this chapter, we have an idea of the guy's spirit and attitude. Because after the master gives the bags of gold out, we read this of the servant. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So he went at once. So that's a phrase that we don't actually read about when we see what's going on with the servant with the two bags or the one with the one bag. It's not mentioned about them, just this guy. So I think that tells us why the master chose to give him five because he doesn't waste any time. He gets right on this. When it comes to managing God's resources, now, almost all of us have good intentions. We mean well, but here's what we say. Now's not a good time. I'm going to be generous one day, but I'll wait until you know, the economy settles down, or I'll wait until the debt is paid off, that our car is paid off, or I'm going to wait until I'm done college, or I'm going to wait until I'm married, or I'm going to wait until the kids are out of the house. And this is a good one for a father of three daughters. I'm going to wait until the three weddings are all paid for. Whatever it is, then I'll be generous then. And we have these intentions of being generous one day. I know I, my two daughters sitting in the front here, they realize they didn't get a fortune when they get married. Pastors can't do that much. But, so then we have these intentions 
of being generous one day. But here's the thing. If you're not doing it now, you'll not do it then. And we know this because we've experienced it. Some of you have said, when I'm making as much money as you're now making, I'm going to be really generous. But what happened? Your expenses just kind of kept up with your income. And those good intentions just didn't seem to follow through. And this may be the most important financial principle that most of us need to implement. It's just very simply to begin at once. So this servant shows us the right time is to start honoring the master with what he has entrusted us with. Now I've talked to some people who've said that they're going to be generous one day and they have great plans for generosity when they die. And I understand that thinking to a degree, you're going to build up these savings and try to accumulate some wealth and one day when you die, you're going to give it away. And it's true that one day when you die, other people will get your stuff. But it actually won't be because you're generous. It will be because you're dead. Isn't that true? (laughs) Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I think that it's really important. Well, it's vital for us to have wills. And even to do estate planning, to keep family in mind, even to keep God's work in mind. But if most of your giving is going to be after you die, you should evaluate that. Because is it really fair to call it generosity? Or is it really fair to call it sacrifice and love if you let people or organizations have what you no longer need anyway? So we have good intentions and we say, one day. But from this servant that began at once, we have that inspiration, we have that missing piece. And then in verse 22, we see pretty well the same conversation with the man who was given the two bags of gold. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done. So we see the same thing. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So you've passed the test. You've passed the exam. Here's your reward. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Now remember the context of all of this. Jesus is talking about his return. And when he returns, there is going to be an accounting. And there will be rewards based on how we've invested what he has entrusted to us. So what we do now has consequences or rewards then. Now this is really important, and please don't misunderstand me, but you could give away everything you have and everything that you ever will to the work of God, and that won't earn your way into heaven. It doesn't matter how much good you do, you will never be good enough to go to heaven. That isn't what saves us. The Bible says that we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So we're all sinners and we're being saved by God's grace. That is what gets us into heaven. But when we are in heaven on that day of judgment, there will be an accounting and there will be different rewards given out based on how we've managed what God has entrusted us with. 
But years ago, I was called into an adult Sunday school class for a one Sunday session, and it was called Stump the Pastor. And people were to bring in their questions that had been bugging them for some time, and they even sat me in the middle of the room, and they were in a circle around me. It felt very intimidating. And then they started asking these questions, so hopefully I had the answer. And one woman asked, she said, is it true that when we get to heaven that we're going to have a crown and there will be a certain number of jewels in it based on how we've lived our life? And this other guy spoke up and he said, oh, I'll probably just get a beanie. So he, he wasn't very <laughs> impressed with his life. But, but there is truth to that. There will be different rewards given based on how we've used what God has entrusted to us. I just want to read these next two scriptures, 2 Corinthians. Because we must all stand before Christ to be judged, each of us will receive what we should get, good or bad, for the things we did in the earthly body. And then Paul talks about this when he's speaking to Timothy. Tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone, but their pride and trust should be in the living God who always richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. And they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. So this is the Living Bible uh, paraphrase. But I like that line. It is the only safe investment for eternity. So how we handle our money now is an investment that will be rewarded then. And that's different than how we typically think about giving. Most of us don't think about giving as an investment. We think about giving as in I had this money, and now I've given it to him or to them. Now it's theirs. But in Scripture, we see that giving to the work of God is the best investment of all. What we do now makes all the difference then. That's why John Wesley said this. He said, I value all things only by the price that they shall gain me in eternity. So what we start doing is we look at our possessions, our money, our accounts, and our spending through the lens of eternity, and we start asking, what can I do now to invest in my eternal portfolio? And most of us spend a lot of time investing in our retirement. We're concerned about it. Those 20 to 30 years that we hope God blesses us with after we retire from our jobs. So but what about eternity? What kind of time and attention do we give to that? When you give to Halifax Christian Church, the eternal portfolio is actually pretty diversified. A big part of that is actually going to be going towards the salaries of our pastoral staff. And I used to apologize for that in the early years. But then I realized that we are doing this full time and it gives us the opportunity to be able to touch even more lives than we would if it was on a volunteer basis and we were working full time at another position. 
But there are other examples of what your giving goes toward. There are eight different missions that we support spread all over the world. There's a Bible college in Charlottetown, and then there is an English school in Poland. There's Bible translation in Papua New Guinea. There's an outreach mission in Haiti. There are MP3 players that are being given in the villages in Thailand. These MP3 players have the Bible on them. Then there's our local food bank. There's a church plant in Newfoundland that we give to. There's also a church camp that we support. And then we do things like we've covered all the costs for a family to resettle here in Halifax. We've covered the rent for a single mom. We've covered grocery gift cards. We've Actually, a man just actually met me at the door today. He's not a part of our church. He, he, he doesn't attend any church. And he gave me a $100 gift card to give to somebody in the church that is in need. That's incredible. But then uh, we also uh, covered rent for people, uh, furniture for families to in need, uh, Christmas help, clothing and other necessities for a woman that had just come out of an abusive situation, tires for a, mom's, a single mom's car, gas for people in their cars, and it's just a lot of things like that. So when we give, we're making an investment now that will show up in our eternal portfolio on this day of accounting. So examine what this looks like for you because the Bible says that it's a blessing to give. And one of the reasons that it is a blessing is because it's the best investment we can make. One of the things I don't like when I visit other churches is that when they take up the offering, the pastor basically apologizes for the fact that they're taking up an offering. Now, we don't want guests to feel obligated to give but we certainly don't apologize for allowing people to have the opportunity to give to the work of God. Like, Why would we actually apologize for that? It would be like knowing that a certain stock without question was going to produce a 100% return on the original investment. So is that something that you need to apologize for when you tell other people about it? Should you feel funny about challenging people to invest in that stock? Or should there be a sense of excitement to it? If we really believe what the Bible says about this whole idea of what we do now carries with it a reward in heaven, it seems like we'd celebrate the opportunity to have such an investment. There'd be a fight in the lineup at the offering box at the back by the sound booth. So the question for us as we think about preparing for this test is, what are you investing in now that will be rewarded then? And that's not meant to be a hypothetical question. But can you answer that? What are you investing in now that will be rewarded then? So then we have the third servant. And he comes to the master and the excuses start to flow. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering what you have not, where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is, where, here is what belongs to you. Now, it was a normal practice in those days 
to just hide something in the ground. It was the safest way to protect your assets. My first and only other church was in a place called Dorn Ridge, New Brunswick. And the congregation bought a small house right across the street from the church. Not a street, a road. It was very rural. And uh, they then built on and turned it into an education center and a fellowship hall. But the old man that lived in there, he was kind of a recluse. And the church bought this from his family after he died. And he had an old-fashioned open well. And they discovered this tin can. It was a waterproof tin can at the bottom of that well. And it had $18,000 in small bills in it. So this man was just hoarding up his money. And I was telling the congregation, if well, maybe you should have set that money aside for future salaries for your pastors. But they did the right thing, and they gave the money to the family. But it's just amazing how he did that. And that's what the guy in our story was doing. He just buried that money. And now you ask yourself, why did the guy that Jesus talked about just bury his bag of gold? I wonder if he looked at the guy who had five bags of gold and thought, I really don't have much to offer. Look at what that guy has. What I could do wouldn't really make much of a difference. I might as well just bury what I have. But there's a tendency for us to see what other people give and we think, does my giving really make any difference? But here's what we see in the parable. We are held accountable from the master to the guy with the five bags. And we, we, we are held accountable for what he has entrusted to us. And do you notice the exact same response from the master to the guy with five bags as to the guy with two bags? It wasn't the fact that one had brought ten and the other had brought four. It was all the masters anyway. It was the fact that they'd been faithful with what he had actually entrusted them with. So God gives us this amount of money that we have and the resources that we have, and we are tested on it. And it doesn't really matter if we have hundreds or if we have millions. The reward is the same. It's based on how we manage what God has entrusted to us. See, I think we assume that if we made more, if we had five bags of gold, we'd be more generous. But here are the stats. This is North American giving to charity. Those that are making less than 50000 a year give more than 5% to charity. Those making fifty to 100000 give 3.2%. And those making over 100000 give 2.9%. So with more money, the percentage is actually lower. And I'm sure that when people were making $20,000, they thought, when I'm making 100000 that I'll be able to be much more generous. But they're actually less generous. And why is that? We think 10% of 20000 is around $40 a week. And that's a lot of money when you only make 20000 But then they think, okay, I could skip that lunch date with my spouse and give that money to the church. And then when they're making 80000 then that's more like 160 a week, and they multiply that by four, and that's around $700, and they think, I could lease a BMW for that amount, and the giving tends to go down percentage-wise. 
but each of us are held accountable for whatever God has entrusted us with. So the master replies, you wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So the least you could have done is put it in the bank to get what interest they would have given you there. But did you catch what he called the servant? He called him wicked and lazy. And we can understand lazy because he didn't do anything with what God had given to him and just buried it in the ground. But wicked, he didn't embezzle the money, he didn't waste the money, he, he just buried it. Yet he's called wicked and lazy. Why? Because that's not what the master wanted done with his money, with his resources. So he's the victim of the tendency to not want to take a risk, to not want to step out in faith, to just bury it in the ground. So you've made it. We're at the end of this three-part series on money, and I know a lot of you don't like hearing about money in the church, and I even mentioned the first week that there are some pastors that don't like to speak about it either. But the one thing is, this is going to be on the final exam. So what we talk about now, we're going to be held accountable for then. So it's not a time to drift off. It's not a time to be distracted and thinking about that game of golf. It's time to lean in and ask some questions. And I've discovered in preaching about money, people don't really mind as much as you don't get too personal. They don't mind if what you're talking about is just kind of general in talking about generosity. But when you start talking about percentages, then the emails start to come in. General's okay, specific, not so. But here's the thing. We need to be specific and personal because one day you and one day myself, we're going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account of what we've done with all that he has entrusted to us. And some of you here have five bags of gold. Some of you owe two bags of gold. I know that. But what can you do right now? What can you do this year in regards to your finances so that you can start to build that eternal portfolio? Because at the end of our life, we want to hear what those first two servants heard. Well done, good and faithful servants.